Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, everybody, and you're very welcome to our Signpost series webinar this morning. My name is Andy Boland, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. Unfortunately, your regular host, Mark Gibson and Pat Murphy, are unable to be with us this morning, but I'm joined by my colleague, um, Noel Meehan. So Noel has kindly agreed to help us with the questions. Noel, good morning, and thanks for jumping into the bridge. Morning, Andy. No problem at all. I'd just like to uh, thank at this stage um, our series uh, partners, uh, Dairy Sustainability Ireland, Food and Drinks Skillnet Ireland, and the National Rural Network. The, uh, those partners have been with us since the beginning of this series. And it's kind of hard to believe at this stage that we are now in our 103rd series and we are entering our third year. So it's been a, a roller coaster journey really so far on this series. This morning, uh, we're going to cover uh, an area really that we haven't, I think, in, in any great detail covered before. Our, our series to date, uh, we, have, we have a very broad church of audience, and we've also covered a lot of topics. We've covered uh, topics really from the whole gamut of farm to fork. Our audience is a broad church of individuals from advisors, right the way through consultants, policy people, farmers, indeed academics. And uh, we have tried to match topics to, those, to, to that audience. So really we've had a, a farm to fork type strategy in terms of the topics that we've picked for the presentation. And our presentation this morning um, really is going to look at the fork end of the schedule. And I'm delighted to welcome uh, two representatives from Danone. We have Elaine Cross, who is the Corporate Affairs Manager with Danone. And we have Mark Stafford, who is the Sustainability and Nature uh, Manager with Danone. Good morning, Elaine and Mark, and you're very welcome to our series. And thank you both for taking the time and effort to talk to us and present to us this morning. Good morning, Andy. Thanks very much for having us. Um, since we began um, this series, really, uh, we, have, we have tried to cover, as I said, uh, a lot of things and get a lot of uh, subject matter into the, into the discussion. And Elaine, um, really, uh, we, we have had corporates uh, on before, but maybe this is, is slightly different to what we've done in the past. That's good to hear. I suppose um, what I'll be doing is giving you an intro into Danone, uh, what we do here, our presence, but also um, some of our overview sustainability goals. And then Mark, who's our sustainability and nature manager in our Wexford factory, will um, give you kind of the practicalities as to how we became carbon neutral there. So hopefully... Um, It'll give you some insight into what companies are trying to do. And I suppose from Danone's perspective, we have that global and local um, view on it. So basically, I try to bring any understanding of what's happening outside the business back to the business and make sure we're acting on it. So as I said, I'm joined here by my colleague, Mark. He's the Sustainability and Nature Manager down in Wexford, and he'll go through um, how we became carbon neutral there. I suppose he can't... Um, ooh, sorry to skip ahead to... Explain Danone is a global company and we're one with a unique health product portfolio. We've brands across a lot of categories, be that waters, plant-based, dairy, as we well know here, specialized nutrition and medical nutrition. Um, we've brands such as Actimal, Activia, Alpro, Evian and Volvic, and then Aptimal and, and Cowan Gate, which we make here. But uh, I suppose outside of the supermarket, not a lot of people would know that we actually um, make a lot of medical nutrition products as well under our Nutritia range. So, for instance, for sick children, for people who can't eat normally, they may be in an ICU bed, we have tube feeds, or for someone who's suffering from malnutrition because they ha are, you know, have cancer or may have had a stroke, we provide a lot of those oral nutrition supplements as well. So, uh, yeah, we have a lot of strings to our bow, I suppose. But here in Ireland, we employ about 700 people. That's at an office in Dublin, but at our two specialised nutrition factories in McCroom and Wexford as well. Um, they're two of the biggest supply points in the Danone network. So we're very proud of them. They're places that are often chosen for new product innovations and they've received significant investment in the last few years as well. 
And just, I can't but share that stat. We're obviously very closely aligned to our colleagues in the UK. And um, I suppose just to show how much we're embedded in the fabric, we say that 3,600 people are actually eating or enjoying one of our products every minute. I suppose a part of my job is to always look at what's happening outside the business. And one um, recent thing that happened, I was at um, the Guild of Agricultural Journalists event last week. They had Jack Bobo speaking. He's um, a food a food futurist and he uh, was a former advisor to Hillary Clinton. Now, he was speaking about the future of food and he obviously talked about the challenges around the fact that we need the food system to feed up to 10 billion people by 2050 and obviously all the challenges that um, come with that. Some of you may have heard him actually, he was on Countrywide, but I would advise you to look back at the Agri Guild website to see his talk. It was really good, but nothing new in what he said there, but what he did say to me, and it was quite stark, is that over the next 30 years, they're not just going to be the most important years that there has ever been in agriculture, but they'll be the most important 30 years there will ever be. So yeah, that's quite a challenge for us as an industry. And I suppose there's a real, there's a lot coming at us that requires us to keep adapting and evolving to stay match fit. If we look at the way the policy direction is going versus what the market's demanding. And um, even, I suppose, just looking at what our customers are looking for. And I've, you can see here that I've um, put up just some of what our UK customers and obviously they're customers of a lot of Irish food and drink companies. So what they've set out for themselves versus what they're looking for from suppliers. So there's really an acceleration in demand there and greater expectations placed on us, I suppose, around providing new sustainable alternatives, working with them to help them achieve their targets, but also implementing a lot of really strict procurement criteria as well. Um, and I suppose, look, that's notwithstanding the demands and the pressures of the supply chain, the raft of legislation that I don't need to tell this group about, and even um, investor pressure coming on us as well. And uh, consumers, I can't but mention them as well. It was, um, they're looking for us to, to give them those, help them live more sustainably. Actually, during lockdown, the search results for how to live a sustainable life went up four and a half thousand percent. Didn't even know that was a a possible percentage but again looking at the backdrop of the recent IPCC report and the EPA's um, state of the Irish environment report and all that kind of more um, definite climate science reporting as well so I suppose look it's a challenge for companies um, to navigate and to stay on top of and um, I suppose that's just a place to start to set out our um, to set out our stall but um, when I look at Danone and our sustainability um, goals, we have origins of about 100 years, but really a defining moment for us came back in 1972 when our then CEO pictured there, Antoine Ribou, he um, basically established Danone's dual project. So looking at business success, that it can be married with social progress. And um, as you can see there, he said our responsibility doesn't stop at the factory gate and that we can have a profitable business that has economic and social benefits. An evolution of this has been our frame of action, which is called One Planet, One Health. And it basically is our belief that um, the health of the planet and the health of our people are interconnected. And I suppose um, to build on that again, what we've done is um, in recent times is to become a B Corp. So it's um, B Corporations, that's a new program that Danone is championing globally. Um, B corporation companies, basically, they're businesses that meet high standards in terms of um, environmental and social progress. They are very publicly transparent about what they do, and they're legally accountable to balance profit and purpose. Um, so we've committed globally to become B Corp by 2025. But um, Danone here in Ireland, we reached that here last year. I suppose um, if we look, there's about 4,000 B corporations globally. Um, and they're actually, it's not just a food program, it extends across fashion, retail, and um, I suppose that's part of the attraction as well, is that it is that holistic, um, it gives us that holistic view over the business, um, and it certainly fits in with our values. So here in Ireland, we're a small but growing group, there's only about 10 of us, um, you may know Collie and Sully or Urban Vold, but we are definitely championing that and we're helping companies with this process if they're interested. So 
basically B Lab are the, the company that operate this, they're social not for profit. And to become a B Corp, you have to complete a business impact assessment across these five pillars of governance, um, workers, community, environment, and, um, and customers. But look, sales pitch over for B Corp. If it's something you're interested in, please do get in touch. But um, And also there's a B Corp Ireland page on LinkedIn as well. And I suppose, look, it just goes that whether it's B Corp, whether it's being part of Word B as Origin Green, like never before, a lot of these programs are really like hygiene factors for businesses now. We need that external validation, that kind of credibility, that it's not just us saying it, that um, we're doing it as well. Um, so I suppose to go on from there, just how we're bringing this kind of purpose to life, whether that be as, as a B Corp and our One Planet, One Health frame of action. If I look here just at our planet commitments, I'm going to give you a quick um, whistle stop tour. Um, I'll be like a racehorse and commentator here now of some of the work that we're doing around these different key topics. So if I first look at climate, and I won't overlabor it because Mark will be giving you a practical example of that later, we have committed to becoming um, Netsy or carbon um, company across our full value chain by 20, 2050. Um, and this is aligned to the science-based targets initiative, which helps companies kind of validate their targets in line with what the climate science says. And again, another external validation for us. But we have been tracking this in various ways since 2008. And a lot of the initiatives you'll see coming that, you know, are all helping us to meet this goal. Um, and we've set even intermediate targets in the meantime to keep us honest, for instance, looking at 100% renewable, um, renewable electricity. So while Mark will talk about the factory, we do also have some carbon neutral brands in our water. So Evian and Volvic, and you can expect to see more carbon neutral brands coming to the fore over the next few years. And you'll see in the middle there, this is our full scope of Danone's carbon footprint and obviously what we are tracking and, and keeping an eye on. And I suppose one area that's of key interest to us here in Ireland at the moment is our McCroom factory. And its endeavours to become carbon neutral. So Donald Dennehy, our factory director down there, he's leading the, in, the dairy industry collective called Project Clover. So looking at the establishment of a biogas gas industry here as an alternative to, um, to natural gas. So I believe you had Devonish Nutrition and KPMG here a few weeks ago, and they're obviously heavily engaged as well. But really, biomethane would be instrumental in us decarbonizing our McCroom site. And obviously would have a lot of other benefits as well. If we look at regenerative agriculture, obviously half of Danone's um, emissions do come are linked to agriculture. So it is a key lever for us. So we're doing a lot around regenerative agriculture models and, you know, working with farmers. And one example, actually, just to take us outside of Ireland would be in the Netherlands, where we've been working with Friesland Campina um, and we've on those pilot farms, we've managed to achieve nearly 18% reduction in carbon footprint. Here in Ireland, to bring us back home, 100% of our Irish dairy supply is obviously signed up to the Sustainable Dairy Assurance Scheme. And I suppose we're looking to build on that by moving them also to the Sustainable Dairy Partnership, which is the global kind of business collective that is looking for continuous improvement around dairy sustainability and trying to do that in some sort of a streamlined manner, helping farmers to simplify kind of requests and also offering credible assurance again to the supply chain. And then you can't men mention regenerative agriculture without looking at biodiversity and our McCroom factory has a 60 acre site down there. It's just outside the town and it is right beside um, uh, wetlands and a kind of a natural reserve area called the Gera. And in an effort to protect that, that, they have undertaken a wetland survey and they've signed up to the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. Another previous speaker here as well, I believe. And they've done different things like brought in a wildflower meadow, um, look, planted 700 trees, created this biodiversity field, put in nest, um, nesting boxes. And we've actually shared that case study with the UK Sustainability Council. So that's a task force that was set up by the government to help them bring into play their environmental plan. So it's great to see, um, I suppose, uh, Irish actions been uh, held up held to, held up as a good example. To move on to packaging, 
um, obviously it plays a really important role. We need it to be able to transport our food, to keep it uh, safe, to keep it a good quality. Um, one of the goals that we're looking for, uh, looking at is by 2025, that all of our packaging, like bottle caps and yogurt cups, and that they're all going to be reusable, recyclable and compostable. And we're also members of, um, sorry, that, yeah, sorry, but we can see there we're doing a lot here locally and we believe we have to have a big part of the system in terms of being engaged in repacks and um, plastic pledge, but also working with our um, industry colleagues and IBEC on making sure that the deposit return scheme, which is um, a new recyclability system that will be coming into force around plastic bottles, that all of these things are coming um, that are coming into play, basically. But sorry, I jumped ahead of myself and I meant to say that um, in terms of our packaging, some of the changes that we have made is getting rid of polystyrene out of our yogurt, um, out of our yogurt portfolio. You can see there the Activia pots and also then Evian using Orpet, which is another type of plastic. But basically how we've communicated that is it's bottles made from bottles. So it's recycled, recycled plastic. And um, then finally, I really I, I'm keeping an eye on time and really do feel like a horse racing commentator, but uh, looking at food waste. So we've aligned with the UN Sustainability Development Goals to say that we want to have food waste across our supply chain by 2030. So he, we've done this in a few ways here in Ireland, um, and th these have been replicated globally. Um, but basically, food labelling is actually one issue because a lot, a lot of food waste happens in the home, and we want to be able to help people um do better basically so one area is around date labeling it causes an awful lot of confusion i think the epa say about 60 percent of people blame it for the reason that they throw out maybe edible food so there's two date labels um at the moment there's use by which is basically when food is no longer safe to eat and then best before which means that afterwards it can still be eaten um it just mightn't be maybe of the best quality. So we've looked to kind of simplify this. We've moved all our yogurts to best before, meaning that people can use their senses. They can smell it, they can taste it and see if it's still good enough to eat. And basically, we hope this will reduce a lot of food waste. Um, complementary to this, you can see our food cloud impact report there. But we've also worked with them on a donations um, donations program with our Actimal um with our Actimal brand. So, so far over the last two years, Irish people have donated 50,000 bottles, um, which has been great. And um, I was a real whistle stop now, but uh, finally, um, just another example here was around how we brought that best before date labeling to life in the UK. We've worked with Too Good To Go. So they're a business to consumer kind of marketplace. They join up say the consumers with surplus food so you can go to a retailer after hours and get them food that may be going off over the next few days for, at a great price um and, but they're also activists in the food uh, waste space and we joined with retailers and other food companies in the uk to bring out bring this campaign around encouraging people to look smell and taste and look it's hopefully something we can look to replicate here in um in years to come and then uh, we can't but say that we do try and work with our communities as well. We work with a lot of charities, be that local to Wexford and McCroom, but also nationally as well. Um, we do that through volunteering. We have two, uh, every staff gets at least two volunteering days, but also donations and fundraising as well. And while that was a whistle stop tour, and I see I'm just to time, um, I hope it gives you kind of some insight into Danone, what we're doing here, but also uh, a takeaway that I suppose in the spirit of Chagas and uh, it's the mind frame of knowledge transfer, that basically we have a lot going on. We have a lot of expertise to share, even from a global perspective. And really, we'd love you to reach out or get in touch and see if we could um, work together or help share any information. So now I'll uh, pass you over to Mark, um, who will Thank take you, you through much. the practicalities of carbon neutral. Thank you very much for that, Elaine. Um, and Mark, before you begin, if I just encourage any of our viewers or if they had any questions to not forget the Q&A box and to include any questions or comments that they might have uh, for Elaine there. Okay, so Mark, over to you. You ready? Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Elaine. Um, so 
good morning, everyone. My name is Mark Stafford. I'm the Nature and Sustainability Manager in the Wexford factory. So uh, we are an infant formula manufacturing plant uh, based right on the edge of Wexford town uh, and right beside the, the Slaney estuary. So you can see a photo in the bottom left-hand corner there of, of our uh, factory. And we have about 360 employees on site. If you could move to the next slide, please, Elaine. So we are uh, situated in the specialized nutrition area of the Danone business. Uh, so uh, we manufacture um, Optimal, Neutralon, uh, Cow and Gate, uh, and uh, other infant formula products like that. And if you could go to the next one, Elaine. And here's an example of uh, some of the products that we manufacture on site. So on the left hand side there, you can see the, the easy pack format, uh, which is uh, the main uh, finished goods pack that we produce here. Uh, and the brands that uh, you would be familiar with in, in Ireland would be Cowan Gate and Optimal. Uh, but we, we supply uh, multiple different uh, brands across uh, multiple different uh, uh, markets across the globe. Uh, so some other ones there uh, that might be familiar would be Malupa. Uh, Blendina, uh, Neutralon, and uh, brands like that. Uh, we also uh, manufacture a new uh, product uh, on site, uh, which is a tablet product. So uh, it's infant formula in tablet form. So it's a new innovation for us on site. Uh, and we went live with a small scale production uh, line for that last year. And then finally, we have we also have a spray dryer on site and we produce um, semi-finished product, which is used for base powder and ingredients in, in other finished goods uh, um, factories across the Danone network. So on our, our spray dry inside then, uh, we produce uh, preterm products uh, for, for preterm infants, uh, infant formula, follow-on milk and young child formula. Uh, we produce market-specific base powders. So um, almost all of the, the base powder that we produce on our spray dryer here in Wexford is exported to other European uh, production sites. Uh, and uh, it's a very flexible uh, spray dryer. The, the spray dryer that we have is a unique uh, technology compared to the other spray dryers in our network. And we do a lot of work around uh, product trials and uh, innovation recipes here for Danone as well. For blending and packing then, um, as we said previously, they're the easy pack, pack format and the tablet format. They're the, the, the products that we produce here. And it's a portfolio of high quality infant formula, follow on formula and young child formula. And then we have a range of global and local brands exporting to 47 different markets across the globe. So all in all, we have uh, the production capacity to produce about 100,000 tons of uh, infant formula from the factory here every year. So in SN, uh, we have four, uh, what we call essentials. So there, there are four pillars of our business. Uh, that is safety, quality, nature. Uh, nature, we, uh, we use the, the word nature to cover all elements of, of the environment and sustainability, and then uh, compliance as well. So the Y squared program there is our safety program. Eye care is our quality program. Uh, you can see the climate, water, packaging and agriculture icon, which is our, our nature and sustainability program. And uh, in Wexford, we, we have a saying, so it's safety first, quality always, nature forever. So nature and sustainability is, is uh, ingrained in, in our operations and our, our culture here on site. So I won't go into too much detail uh, on this because I know Elaine covered it previously, but Again, we've, we've the, the four main pillars there and uh, primarily for us here in Wexford, we focus on climate, water and the circular economy. Uh, as a manufacturing site, uh, we're, we're kind of one step removed from the, the agricultural element of the business. Uh, so we focus on our resource consumption uh, and then the, the waste that we produce. They're probably the main impacts that we have from the factory here. Uh, we also work um, a good bit on, on nature culture uh, and we try and uh, do some work in the community around volunteering uh, as well year to year. Okay, so why we care about it then? Um, so uh, this, this is probably fairly obvious, but a healthy planet for future generations. So we're, we're a food company that's focused on producing 
nutritional products for um, children uh, from from the very first uh, day of conception right through the through their full 1000 day journey. Uh, we also produce nutritional products then for for people in in older age and, and convalescence, as as uh, Elaine mentioned. So there's not much point in us being focused on on the nutrition of those consumers if they don't have a healthy planet to to grow up in or use later in life. Healthy food from healthy nature then. So again, like we cannot produce healthy uh, nutritional food products if they don't come from a from a healthy source. So if the planet isn't healthy, if nature isn't healthy, we we don't uh, we're not able to grow healthy uh, vegetables, produce healthy dairy, etc. Uh, it enhances brand trust. Uh, so uh, again, going back to our consumers, uh, the more and more consumers are looking for more sustainable uh, products, and we need to move to meet that demand. And then finally, uh, on, on the Danone community, so uh, it's it's something that the Danone community wants. So we do an internal survey here in Danone. We call it a people survey every every uh, two years. And from the last survey uh, that we did, uh, it was specific to uh, Wexford, but also covered uh, all of Danone as well. But the last, uh, at high level, the results from the last uh, survey around nature, our employees were very prou proud of what we're doing to date on sustainability, uh, but they wanted to see us do more uh, and uh, they want to be more involved in it as well. And uh, then it also attracts new employees and, and retains talent. Okay, so some of the main sustainability certifications and memberships that we have here in the Wexford plant. We're certified to ISO 14001, uh, which is an international environmental uh, management system standard. We're certified to ISO 50001, uh, which is an international uh, energy management system standard. And we are also certified carbon neutral by the Carbon Trust. We're certified zero waste to landfill by the Carbon Trust. Certified B Corp, as Elaine mentioned, we're a member of the, the Origin Green Sustainability Programme and we're a business supporter of the, the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. So moving on then, just to look at our, our carbon neutral journey in more detail. Um, this, this journey started for us back in 2010 uh, and at the time, Danone had a vision of cutting CO2 emissions uh, by 30% by 2012. Uh, and that was the, the local inspiration then to move forward with carbon neutrality. And we took a measure reduce offset approach. So the very first step for us in 2011 was to uh, carry out a, a baseline measurement of all our, our carbon emissions on site. And in 2011, we had just under 15,000 tonnes of scope one and two energy emissions emitted from the site. So in 2012, we put together a business case for building a biomass steam boiler on site. That business case was approved and uh, construction started in 2012 on a, a 3.8 million euro investment. And the biomass boiler went live in 2013 and that reduced our CO2 emissions down to 9,400 tonnes. In parallel with the, the biomass um, boiler going live, we carried out a, a project uh, in the, the local uh, community to create a sustainable wood chip supply for, for the biomass. And I've, uh, we'll talk about that in more detail on an upcoming slide. Uh, in 2017, we switched to 100% renewable electricity. Uh, so we source that from the, the grid. Uh, we pay for uh, renewable green electricity. In 2019, then, uh, we implemented the ISO 50001 energy management system. And at that time, uh, we had reduced our, our energy emissions uh, by, or sorry, our energy ratio uh, by about 35% versus 2011. Uh, also in 2019, then, we switched from heavy fuel oil to gas. So we, along with the biomass boiler, uh, we, have a, we have a gas boiler on site, um, and that provides uh, some of the steam that we use. Uh, before 2019, it was fueled by heavy fuel oil, which is, is quite, um, uh, as a fossil fuel, it's quite a dirty fossil fuel. Natural gas is still a fossil fuel, but it has much uh, lower uh, emissions intensity associated with it. So we, we converted the, the boilers to natural gas in 2019, uh, further reducing our emissions. And then in 2020, our energy related emissions had uh, reduced to 3000 tons. 
and uh, we announced our certification uh, to uh, carbon neutrality with the Carbon Trust in 2020. And as Lane said, we were the first informal manufacturing plant in the world to be certified carbon neutral by the Carbon Trust. Um, so we do have, have emissions that, that still come from the site and what we have to do to achieve carbon neutrality there is offset those remaining emissions. And we do that through a fund called the Livelihoods Fund. So the Livelihoods Fund is uh, it's a fund and an organization that implements large scale, uh, uh, sorry, emissions offsetting projects, uh, primarily in Southeast Asia and Africa at the moment. And typical projects would be uh, mangrove restoration, uh, agroforestry projects, uh, rural energy projects, etc. So uh, we invest uh, in the offsets required to, to offset our remaining emissions every year through the Livelihoods Fund. Those offsets then are verified by an independent international body called the Gold Standard Registry. And the Gold Standard Registry ver verifies that the, the offsets are legitimate and then retires them so that they can't, um, can't be used again. So every year uh, we go through a full recertification for carbon neutral and we have to um, purchase new offsets to offset whatever remaining emissions we have. And also just a point to note about our, our carbon neutral certification. And one of the main focuses of the, the certification is continuous improvement. So we have to have a plan uh, to reduce our remaining emissions down to as close to zero as possible. Um, and we have to demonstrate that, that we're achieving that every year to the carbon trust so that, that we can be recertified. So in terms of impact then, uh, so in 2020, we had reduced our, our carbon emissions by 80% versus 2011. And that was the equivalent of taking uh, almost 12,000 tonnes of CO2 out of the atmosphere, which is, which is the equivalent of uh, taking 5,000 cars off the road every year. Uh, and then another, another interesting point, while all this was happening, uh, we were expanding our production capacity on site. So we went through, we went through a, a series of, of um, large capital investment and, and a, a production expansions from about 2014 up to 2018. So we doubled our production output. And if we took into account the, the impact of our, our doubling our production output, uh, the do nothing scenario would have been uh, much higher. So we were able to decouple our, our decarbonization from the, the expansion of our, our production operations. And finally then in 2020, uh, we, um, we won the SEAI, uh, Large Business Exemplary Energy Management Award uh, for the, for the uh, culmination of our, our carbon neutral certification. Okay, you can move on Elaine, thanks. Okay, so just to speak about the, the ecosystem project, um, it was called Project Vulcan. And the, the aim was to create, sorry, to um, create a sustainable wood chip supply in the southeast, southeast of Ireland. And for that, uh, we partnered with the Kilkenny Leader Partnership. Uh, and then the core concept was to create a farmer owned uh, commercial entity to drive the harvesting, processing and marketing of timber in the southeast. So throughout that process, then uh, we had a number of local wood producer groups. They merged into one uh, large producer group which is now a sustainable business supplying a range of biomass and timber products for domestic, industrial and agricultural customers. So for our part, um, for, for our part, uh, what we put into to that project, uh, first of all, we committed to produce the, the wood fuel uh, from the business. So uh, therefore, uh, I suppose, providing a guaranteed sale for, for the business, uh, for, their, for their products, which reduced the risk of startup. Um, we also invested over 1 million euros in funding through a, an ecosystem fund. I'll explain that a little bit uh, later. We, uh, that funding went to training and also to helping develop the, the infrastructure and purchase the equipment that the business needed. Uh, 69 people were trained, uh, 42 people ended up with increased or secured revenues. And the, the wood producer group now has over, over 1,000 members and it uh, spans. Wicklow, Wexford, Carlow, Waterford, uh, Kilkenny, Tipperary, Cork, uh, and most of the, the most of the members of that producer group are, are small uh, scale forestry owners. So they could uh, most of them are farm families that may have um, planted uh, 20, 40, 60 acres of, of uh, forestry as an investment. 
So you can imagine like on their own, um, the, their economy of scale versus some of the larger forestry groups would be quite small. The benefit of, of being part of this wood producer group is that they can pool resources, share knowledge, uh, share the, the, the resources required for harvesting and uh, marketing and, and selling the, the timber products. Uh, and we were involved in, in the project for three years. Uh, it became independent in 2016 uh, and it's, it's now fully, fully running on its own. Okay, uh, so the Ecosystem Fund then. The Ecosystem Fund was established by Danone in 2019 around the time of the financial crisis. So the Danone uh, shareholders at the time agreed to invest 100 million euros of the, the company's benefits into the, into the fund. And the fund supports projects that are co-designed by a local Danone subsidiary and a nonprofit partner. And the idea is then that together they bring, bring to life business models that address social challenges, but also environmental and public health issues. Uh, and to date, the e Ecosystem Fund has brought together over 55,000 people people from all types of geographical and socioeconomic backgrounds uh, who are trying to build a more inclusive economy from the ground up. Okay, and just to, to go through our zero waste landfill uh, certification and achievement then. So why did we do it? We wanted to reduce our environmental impact. Uh, it was part of our, our local roadmap um, and also part of our, our global roadmap as well. Uh, we wanted to decrease the amount of general waste that was generated on site and send it for recovery instead. Uh, we wanted to increase the, the reuse and recycle of, of materials that uh, we uh, waste from site. Uh, and we also wanted to reduce the final Im financial impact associated with the collection and disposal of the waste on site. So how we did it then? Um, First of all, we, we formed a waste team. Uh, we had bi-weekly meetings. We identified and mapped all of our waste streams on site. Uh, we identified key areas of concern and, and developed specific actions and um, tasks around that. Uh, we improved the waste segregation across our whole site. Uh, we're, we've move, we're moving to paperless processes. So this has been a, a project over the last number of years. So uh, there's a number of departments within the the factory now that are certified paperless. Uh, we've installed uh, multiple balers around the site for baling our waste and developed ways of, of baling and recycling materials that previously would have been sent to general waste. Uh, and then uh, we focused on communication as well. So communication program for all employees, general communication, and then developing uh, standards and procedures around how we handle and, and how we dispose of waste on site. Uh, so the, the, the results then, uh, the goal for Danone globally was zero plastic to landfill by 2020. And, and we took that and built on it a little bit and, and went for zero waste to landfill by 2020. Uh, so some of the things that we did, so uh, there's waste streams that uh, we sent to uh, reuse, uh, the likes of pallets, uh, all the pallets on site are recovered and uh, reused, sent back to the, the supplier for reuse. Um, IBCs and the IBCs that we use on site are uh, sent back for reuse again. So they're sent back to the supplier, they're cleaned and reused. Uh, we've, we've dramatically reduced the amount of downgrade uh, food material that we have on site and what's left then is sent for, for reuse. Um, we reuse barrels, uh, the biomass ash is, is sent for composting and then the sludge from our treatment plant then is, is, is also used for uh, fertilizer. Uh, on recycling then, we, we it drastically increased the amount of, of recycled waste that, um, that we have on site. So a big focus on hard plastic, soft plastic, uh, big bags, the one-ton bags that we use, shredded paper and cardboard. And then finally, uh, what was left, the, the remaining general waste uh, that we generate on site is sent for um, incineration with energy recovery. Uh, so it's it's uh, a recovered uh, product rather being sent uh, than being sent to landfill. Okay, and the results then. So the the overall environmental impact. We've decreased our general waste. We've increased our recycled materials and increased our uh, reuse uh, reused materials as well. Uh, so over the last two years, uh, we've reduced our our total waste by uh, seventeen percent on site. Um, 
we're certified to, to zero waste landfill with the carbon trust as well and very similar to our carbon neutral certification uh, we have to be recertified every year and the focus is on continuous improvement we have to have a roadmap for uh, improving our, our waste situation reducing our waste and uh, demonstrate that we're doing that to maintain our certification and then the financial savings per year uh, resulted in 123,000 euros of, of savings per year. And that's it. Uh, thanks very much. I hope uh, I hope that's been informative. And um, Andy, if there's any questions there now, we can we can take them. Sorry, Mark. There was gremlins in the system there. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you, both Elaine and um, and Mark. Um, they're very detailed presentations. Um, we've loads of questions coming in. And really, um, Elaine, really, if I, there's two areas really that I've kind of grouped a, a few questions together. And one is around um, the different, um, you know, you, you have different processes that you've got involved in, like the Carbon Trust. You've, you, you've, you've, there's a number of different um, if you like, uh, organizations that you're involved in, in order to verify what you're doing. And now B Corp was a new one on, on myself. Um, but do you find, or does your, your clients, is it confusing when you, when you have a, a lot of different certification or are you trying to constantly explain to people um, or, or does it wash over their head? <laughs> Sorry, you're on mute, Elaine. I think I'd have learned. Um... I, there is a bit of that. It, look, it's, I think it's that time we're in. It's a very um, challenging time. And I think a big job for us is to prove we're doing what we're saying we're mm -hmm. doing. So we do hold external like accreditations to be very important to us. Um, but I suppose we're not just doing them for the sake of it. It is all around like the carbon trust is to verify the carbon neutral status. And B Corp is actually why we've chosen that accreditation is more of an overarching one because it's quite holistic and it very much aligns to Danone's purpose of, you know, aligning profit and purpose, basically. And um, look, it's no doubt that it's a confusing time, even if you go into a shop now and you pick up a, a yogurt, for instance, there's a lot of different labels on it. There's, there's no doubt, but I think we will, while it is a busy space, I think we still need these credible, credible, I suppose, verifications to allay any skepticism around what we're doing. Um, so they're all with, uh, they all have a job to do, I suppose. And, um, and if anyone, like a big thing now is for us to be transparent and show that we are doing what we say and we have other people coming in to scrutinize that. Um, but I would encourage companies to look at B Corp um, it definitely is something that a lot of actually food companies are looking looking at. And that's not to say we still need the Origin Green program. We still need to have those mm. um, those other proof points underneath it. But Beef Corp can be very good across that kind of ESG agenda. OK. And Elaine, you mentioned it in your presentation and Mark, you kind of went into it in more detail. But obviously the, the, the company, Danone, has had corporate social responsibility there as its, eth as its ethos for a long, long time. I mean, you mentioned it going back to the early 70s, and I don't know how many people in the early 70s, you know, had that sort of a, an outlook on, their, on the future of their company. But, Mark, do you, did you have, um, you know, <clears throat> you often heard the term re-engineering your company to, to make it, you know, where it's going in the future, or commercial re-engineering. But did you have to have a lot of, have a lot of engagement with your staff uh, in order to, to get them to, or... or did it happen naturally that you did it slowly over a period of time or did you have huge, uh, if you like, U-turns to make to what you were doing with your staff to get them to go in a different direction? Or was it a slow process? Um, I suppose it's the fact that it's in, embedded really in, in the business processes has been has been a, a benefit to us here, here at factory level. So like... Going back to, to the slides, like the, the nature and sustainability part was, was already identified as one of the pillars of the business by, by senior management globally. Um, and, you know, a lot of, of structures and resources were, were put in place from the top down to help us implement that at, at site level and with the staff. So we had good support that way. Um, what we've done locally is we, we've really focused on 
communication. So uh, sustainability is, is really embedded for, for the last, probably the last 10 years, in around when we started our, our carbon neutral journey. We've embedded it in, in all of our meetings. So we share a nature contact at the start of every meeting. Uh, we hold regular nature committee meetings on site and we have volunteers from around our, our factory from different uh, production areas, any staff who are, who are interested in, in volunteering. Um, we run regular communication campaigns through our weekly newsletter, uh, our digital screens on site. Um, we have volunteering events, which we encourage people to, to get involved in as well. So we really try and build, build the culture. Um, and when the culture is there, when we're trying to implement new processes around waste and, and carbon neutrality, uh, people, are, people are already in the mindset and, and they're already on board. So it makes it easier. Um, we have had uh, a lot of work to put in uh, processes. So the, the waste one is probably the biggest, biggest example. Um, we, we completely re-engineered, I suppose, our, our waste streams around the factory, put in new operating procedures, new equipment to handle the waste, um, and then have to train all the employees uh, in, in, in those ways as well. So yeah, it does, it does take an effort, but um, it's, it's worth it, worth it in the, in the end. And we find that, that our employees are, are really, really interested in this topic and, and really happy to engage and, and work on it. Yeah. No, there's loads of questions coming in there. Do you want to? Yes, there's, no, there's loads of questions, which is great to see. Um, so one of them is it's kind of overlapped with a few is is around um, obviously sustainability is a big core part of of, of your um, of, of your business, but it, come with a couple of the questions are going beyond that to your suppliers. So I suppose not just um, you know packaging suppliers or, or, or other or electricity suppliers, but also farm suppliers or dairy suppliers. And the question really is is around um, you know what are you what are you trying to achieve or, or, or ask your suppliers to do for each so that you know obviously you set the bar fairly high for yourselves and i presume you're looking for your suppliers to to try and step up to the plate as well so is there any incentives there or, or, or what's how do you uh, approach that um i suppose look we're very lucky here in ireland with the setup the structure that's here around the sustainable dairy assurance scheme with the services that chagas offer there is a great structure here um, I suppose you know we're, we are um, we are, are the way we um, work is we have a regenerative agriculture team say um, in, in our global headquarters and they're actually meeting monthly now with board BIA like sharing learning sharing what um, what may be coming down the line try to marry what's actually happening versus what may may need to happen because of legislation in the future or, or stuff like that so I suppose it's a learning process for us all, but obviously, as we said, agriculture is over half of our emissions and it is something we're looking at, but we know we're not going to be able to do it alone. And we will be working and want to work with the structures that are there with our suppliers like Glambia, Lakeland, Tip Co-op and, um, and that as well. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. well, that, that, that's that's brilliant and i suppose just one other one there maybe for you yourself elaine again it, it was around um you know you, you said you mentioned it around going from uh, use by to best before and the question is is there any um do you have any kind of numbers or figures on what level of of benefit that had from the point of view of reducing food waste would you have any study on that or any information around that so it's a new implementation here in Ireland and the UK but it has been done um for the months kind of before us across Europe um and we're seeing more positive um feedback we're still waiting on I suppose proper results but the thing is it's giving consumers like ourselves the opportunity to not throw it out basically and um for it to last longer and be in the system longer and um we know that definitely, I suppose it's anecdotal at this stage, it has definitely seen positive results in um, in other markets and hopefully we'll see the same here. Um, I think it's our last few products are moving now in the next month or two, so everyone should see it on shelf. Um, and obviously there's an education there as well because there is still such confusion. So I think it'll take a while as well to bed in that um, around the fact that you don't have to throw it out because it's um, gone over the date basically. 
Okay, that's very good. So it's a positive uh, step. And, and I suppose just another question that came in there from a couple of different people is, is around, um, you know, you've a lot done. And I think, Mark, you alluded to it as well, that, that you're constantly looking to improve uh, and make things more efficient and, and, and uh, reduce the, the footprint even further. And I suppose the question is, is you know, have you have a lot of novel stuff gone into the, into the plants and so on, but is there anything further that you're hoping to try and implement or what are your plans for the future around maybe more efficient technologies or something like that, you know? Yeah, um, so yeah, it's a good question. The big focus for us at the moment is um, digital manufacturing. Uh, so we've we've uh, we've a project ongoing um, across 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 the known to to accelerate our, our digital technologies that we're using on site and and gain more efficiencies that way. Um, so the the paperless um, part is 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 just one of it. So moving to to digital processes for our, say, our operational business processes, but implementing more automation, uh, robots, cobots, AGVs in our factories as well um, to, to improve efficiencies uh, across our operations. We're also uh, trying to build on the, the new innovation uh, tablet uh, product that we have uh, just released. So that, that'll be a core focus for us over the, the next couple of years. And uh, from an environmental perspective, uh, we still obviously use some, some natural gas here. So the, the focus for us here is to move to 100% uh, renewable uh, energy for, for the Wexford factory uh, in the next, uh, hopefully within the next three to five years and uh, try and increase the amount of uh, renewables, on-site generation of, of renewables as well. Very good. And I'll go one more, Andy, and then I'll, I'll let you back in there. There's a couple of questions in there about regenerative, regenerative agriculture. And, you know, one is around, um, are you worried that, that it may reduce to, uh, may lead to reduction in, in production levels um, from, from adopting regenerative agricultural practices? And the other one there is, you know, what, what, kind, of me what kind of measures are you asking farmers to implement um, at farm level or you know, through your suppliers to ask farmers to implement a farm level. And there's another kind of a question around, you know, um, carbon and greenhouse gas emissions from, from peat soils and so on. Uh, you know, the, that whole sustainability area, um, how are you engaging with farmers on that as well? So a couple of questions rolled into one. That. I suppose, look, we've started, um, I suppose regenerative agriculture really has, well, it's, I suppose it's a new term for the last few years, seems to be um, very popular, but from a Danone perspective, like globally, we've set up this, um, uh, what's the name, one planet biodiversity group. So it's a lot of big companies who are reliant on agriculture. So I suppose there's been investment put into that and it is something that we know we're going to have to start looking at more for now the board BS sustainable dairy assurance scheme is the requirement to supply. Um, I don't know where that will move, but it like, you know, as we move, even when you look at the scope of our carbon emissions, while we have been doing very well sorting out our own side of the house in terms of moving the factories, moving our brands, we do have to start working with suppliers now. And I think that's recognized across the board, not just from Danone, um, but also even trying to meet all these the climate legislation that is coming at us. How we're going to do that, I don't have the answer here, but uh, like we are very, um, we do keep like our websites and everything up to date in terms of how we do plan to do that. Um, and I'd encourage people basically to get in touch, but um, yeah, I don't have anything more in that at the moment. Okay. Just one other um, theme that has come in a little bit now, maybe it's a bit outside of your, your remit, but do you, do you ever see, um, a situation where you'll be incentivizing farmers directly for doing a whatever a b and c at a farm level whether it's uh, increased housing or whether you know you would be you know paying farmers directly for going that that step further or is there space in the market for for paying for a product to to pass that back along the line I know there's like a whole lot of conversation even around environmental labeling and will consumers pay more for products to be sustainable or are they just expecting products to be, expecting sustainability as kind of a hygiene factor and maybe they won't pay more. I actually saw in the Sunday Business Post two weeks ago, there was a Red Sea poll to say 
only 40% of consumers would pay more. Um, I don't know about like we have different relationships in different markets with farmers. Obviously here it's through the co-op network, but we will be investing in programs. And actually the one I referenced earlier was the Friesland Campino one, for example, um, where we invested, um, I'm not quite sure of the figure, but what it was a couple of million into working with, I think it was nearly about 700 farmers and trying to bring concrete actions there. Um, and so I think it will be around supporting farmers to reach that, to, to reach those milestones in terms of trying to reduce their emissions. Um, but nothing that I've been told about anyway to date. Yeah, but it's, it's a movable feast, to be fair, um, yeah. for, for everyone, for farmers, for suppliers. You know, we're all trying to navigate it. Yeah, I, I think possibly where the, the question was coming from, there was cases with, with Friesland and Campina where there was a payment for leaving cows out longer or grazing particular types of pasture and, and things like that. But one other question that came in, now, I think this is probably more at market, is specifically on the transport. And how, how do they fit into your models, either the transport, um, the, somebody's saying here that, you know, how, how do you use the transport to your, your plant or transport away? How, how do you fit those into your models of, of climate neutrality, uh, Mark? So from, from a global perspective, yeah, so all of our emissions through, through transport have to become carbon neutral as well. Um, in terms of our specific certification in Wexford, uh, our certification is just around our manufacturing facility and the operations in our, in our manufacturing facility. So we do we do look at uh, some scope three emissions, um, and but it's it's energy related scope three emissions, our employee commutes, our business travel, um, scope three emissions that may be related to waste, etc. But we don't actually take into account uh, transport to and from the factory. But uh, in, the, in the global uh, scale and the, the target for 2050, uh, we do have to. And there's, there's already active work going on to reduce carbon within our supply chain. So we have a supply chain department here on site and they're constantly looking at new routes to decarbonize, it, decarbonize the routes we're taking. Uh, so to reduce the amount of, of uh, road transport, uh, focus on road and sorry, road and air and focus on, on train and uh, shipping. So uh, it's, it's actively being worked on, but outside the scope of our, our certification here in Wexford. We're, we're coming close to the end, lads, but just one, one question that's probably very um, pertinent, really. What advice would you give to, whether it's a company or whoever that's starting off out on this journey uh, and maybe hasn't you know, had the history or the background or the will even to do what you have done? Um, you know, where, where, where did they start? <laughs> so probably if, if, if it's carbon neutral, I think a good place to, to start is to look at some of the supports that, that are available uh, from Enterprise Ireland and the SAI at the moment. Uh, so there's, there's supports there available to help companies get started with, with uh, conducting surveys and studies on site. Uh, so there, there'll be financial support there to uh, engage maybe an external consultant to come in and uh, get the ball rolling on, on where that company is at at the moment and give them some direction then on, on the next steps and where to go. Um, so yeah, I, de I definitely, definitely have a look at what supports are available maybe through local authorities, through uh, Leo, Leo through Enterprise Ireland, the SAI, um, lots of places like that. In terms of B Corp Lane, do you have anything to suggest on that side? Um, well, you can contact us because we're definitely spearheading it here and, um, and we'd be happy to take any companies through it, basically to the, through the assessment and the 200 questions that, that that it entails or whatever. So, yeah. Okay. Listen, folks, we're going to have to wrap it up. We're just got a minute over time. Uh, uh, sorry, Elaine, do you want to say something? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I see there's some questions that haven't been answered and maybe one or two of the regenerative agriculture ones that I didn't do justice for. Like if people want to get in touch with us, I suppose the whole thing is we're happy to share, happy to discuss. So please do. OK, Mark, Elaine, thank you very much for, for presenting this morning. Noel, thank you for the dig out of the questions. And Yvonne, Mahar, who is in the background, really, who's the real boss running the whole show. We're just sitting here like she pulls out an odd string now and then. Yvonne, thank you very much. Um, I know it's Thursday today because of the, the bank holiday tomorrow and Good Friday. We normally run on a Friday, but our, our next series um, is back to Friday again. And again, it's along the food term. 
it's Hilton Foods, and we have, uh, we have uh, presentations from Emer Fardy and Sean Leahy, and they're really talking about their journey as well uh, in providing uh, affordable and sustainable food, which is obviously very, very important. It's one thing having it sustainable, but it obviously has to be affordable. So thank you all very much for tuning in. Thank you for all your questions. Uh, I hope you have uh, a nice Easter and a nice weekend uh, and stay safe. So from all of us here, good morning to you all and have a nice weekend. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.